0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from James 1, verse 26, and James 3, verse 2 through 12. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Won't you please join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, speak now, we pray, through your Holy Spirit, a word that we can hear and understand, a word to encourage and challenge and inspire us to be the people you call us to be. May we be open and receptive to whatever it is you want to do in our midst now. We pray that in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Well, it's known as the Great Toilet Paper Scare of 1973. If you were alive back then, and if you can remember, 1973 was not a particularly good year in America. The stock market tumbled that year, losing 45% of its value. There were shortages in oil and gasoline and electricity, even in onions. Not only that, but uh, the economy had reached a, a period of stagnation, and there was a scarcity mentality, and to add insult to injury, there was concern that there might be a toilet paper shortage on the near horizon. Now, this was all brought about by unsubstantiated rumors. News agencies reported on a very real tissue paper shortage in Japan, and somehow... A member of Congress extrapolated from that that a tissue shortage in Japan could lead to a toilet paper shortage in America, and he sent out a press release to that effect. And news agencies picked up on that and sensationalized the story. Even Johnny Carson, the host of The Tonight Show, mentioned it in his monologue. And from there, people just went crazy, flocking to grocery stores, clearing out grocery store shelves, Coming out of grocery stores, their arms loaded with toilet paper, their shopping carts filled to overflowing with toilet paper, and the grocery stores could not keep up with the demand. It's a perfect example of how a rumor of a crisis creates that very crisis. And for three months, toilet paper was in short supply, a rare commodity. It was bartered and traded. A black market emerged. But gradually over time, the hysteria began to subside. Americans discovered that the whole toilet paper shortage thing had been artificially created by cultural frenzy. But to this day, this toilet paper shortage reminds us of the incredible power of words. I mean, think about it. Words have amazing power. Power to build up or tear down. Power to inspire or discourage. Power to deceive or power to enlighten. Power to bring joy or sorrow. No wonder the writer of Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Good question for you and me to ask this morning as we gather. Good question to ask is this. How am I using my words these days? Are my words bringing life or are they bringing death in my relationships, in my circumstances? I want to welcome you back to our series on the the book of James or the epistle of James, the letter that James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote to Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire, meeting in small local churches. You remember, uh, James is sending this letter out to the Christians to remind them of what it means to live in response to what Jesus has done in a culture that was secular and not all that Christian. And those Christians meeting together in churches, trying to struggle with what it means to be a Christian, James reminds them that the faith they profess must demonstrate itself in activity, in action. Behavior flows from belief. And so in this series leading up to Easter, we're looking at James's letter and pulling out key themes, key ideas to help us modern day Christians living in a culture that's pretty secular and not particularly Christian culture, help us, part of the modern day church, understand what it means to live out our faith today. And we've been encouraging you to bring your Bible with you and follow along and take notes. So hope you'll do that today because we're going to talk about words. And even though the main theme of James's letter is that faith is more than just words, it has to be translated into action, James also wants us to remember that words do matter. How we use words is in fact an expression, a demonstration of our faith. Because words have power. The ability to communicate thoughts, ideas, insights, to inspire, to evoke strong emotion that leads to positive action. Think of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Think of Abraham Lincoln giving the Gettysburg Address or his second inaugural address. Think of Ronald Reagan in Berlin saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Words rightly used, carefully chosen, expressed with passion, can have a positive impact in our lives and in our world. In fact, when I look at my own life, some of the most meaningful experiences I have had, some of the most transformative experiences I've had, have been as a result of encountering words that were used with power. And so, James wants us to remember that. And so let's take a look at what he has to say about how we use our words. If you have your Bible with you, uh, turn to chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26, James says this. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Those who consider themselves religious but don't keep a tight rein on their tongue are deceiving themselves. Now, circle that word religious there. It's an interesting word. It, it literally means to participate in the external forms of religion. Like uh, attending church, taking part in holy days or holy ceremonies. Uh going to celebrations that have a religious connotation to them. James here is not condemning those sorts of things. James is not condemning the external and corporate expressions of our faith. But he's saying those external expressions of our faith, like going to church and celebrating holy days and doing rituals, those things should impact how we use our words. And if they don't, there's an issue there that needs to be tended to. If you were talking today, James might say something like this. If you go to church on Sunday and then find yourself cursing, complaining, and gossiping on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, then you're deceiving yourself because what you do on Sunday should impact how you talk on Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the week. I can still remember years ago when I was a much younger pastor serving in the Tidewater area of Virginia. I had this little country church, and there was a guy in that church. His name was William. And William had been a part of this church for decades He had served in just about every position of leadership in this church. And uh, he'd been a a teacher, he'd been on the board, he'd been an usher. He he did everything there. He was what you call one of the pillars of the church. But William had an issue with words. He was kind of a salty guy and kind of expressed himself in kind of gruff ways and and wasn't real careful about other people's feelings sometimes when he spoke. And uh, the, the previous pastor, the pastor I was following at this church, warned me about William. And, uh, I tried to befriend William when I first got there, tried to get to know him a little bit, tried to encourage him a little bit. And sure enough, one, uh, day, I'd been there for several months, one, one day we were at a, a board meeting and somebody said something that William disagreed with, and William didn't know how to disagree without sounding disagreeable. And he kind of spoke back in a very harsh, judgmental way, and it was just inappropriate, and everybody in the room felt it. And then people just stopped talking because nobody wanted to be the next one to get on Richard, or William's radar. And, uh, and anyway, so after that was over, I you know I kind of calmed things down, and and the next day I thought I'll go see William and talk to him about you know the way he acted and maybe encourage him to use his words better. And I went to visit him and and j- just gently tried to encourage him in that direction. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said he said, "Listen, Pastor, you just need to know this about me. I am a plain-spoken person. I just tell it like it is. I don't beat around the bush. I don't play games. I just." speak my mind and I speak the truth and if people can't handle it, that's their problem. And you know, I left after a while and on my drive home from William's house, I thought about what I wished I'd said to him. I didn't say this, but I wished I'd said, no, William, you're you're not somebody who tells it like it is. You're somebody who tells it like a jerk. And that's not our problem. That's your problem. And if you don't attend to that, It causes a lot of problems in your relationship and in the church. And friends, here's the truth about this. I'm not suggesting we can't say difficult things sometimes when difficult things need to be said. I'm not saying we can't speak out against evil and injustice. In fact, we need to do that. But here's the deal. It's easy for us to get up on our high horse and say things in harsh, ugly ways and then deceive ourselves into saying, Well, I'm just telling it like it is. I'm just a no-nonsense truth teller, right? James says, if you consider yourself a Christian, keep a tight rein on your tongue. If you can't say it nicely, or compassionately, or in a way that's healthy, then don't say it at all. Because you're not telling it like it is. You're telling it like you are. I I don't think it's healthy for us to excuse the use of poor words And uh, say, well, somebody's just plain spoken. They're just an honest broker, right? You you don't go around calling people ugly names and insulting them and then want us to tell you how virtuous you are for not being politically correct or just telling it like it is because you're not telling it like it is. You're telling it like you are. And when we use that kind of language, it's a reflection of our culture, our, our character. I'll never forget what my mom used to say when I was a kid and I'd be around people who were cussing. My mom would say this, remember, son. that people who use profanity, it's a sign of an immature mind trying to express itself. The truth is, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, that should affect how we speak. And that's what James is getting at here. But then he goes into more depth on this in chapter 3. So let's, let's go over to chapter 3 and look at verse 2 in verse 2 he says this we all stumble in many ways right and, and he's talking here about how we, how we use our words and the truth is we do all stumble in many ways in fact circle that word stumble it means to slip up like you know slipping on the ice uh, unintentionally tripping over yourself that, that that's what it means see so see there's some sins in your life and in my life that we do deliberately right we're, we're stubborn we we want what we want and we know it's wrong we do it anyway that's not what James is talking about here he's talking about the sins that we do sort of we just stumble into them. We, we, we slip up. We, we, we didn't mean to. We just overreact. We didn't think, whatever. And the, the sins of the tongue are often like that, aren't they? I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'm going to be a jerk all day. Nobody does that, right? But sometimes when our guard is down, I know this is true of me, I say things sometimes, and I wish I could take it back because it didn't come out quite right. Does that ever happen to anybody else? Right? You, you stumble, you slip up. You back the car out of the driveway and you run over the mailbox and something comes out of your mouth probably shouldn't have right or you you know you, you you get irritated at work and you say something to a colleague in a way that damages your reputation and hurts that relationship you you share a juicy piece of gossip at the dinner party because you get all caught up in the conversation and you just want to want to add in something you've heard and you boast a little bit or exaggerate a story a little bit to your brother-in-law because you want you know your brother-in-law to think you're a little bit better than maybe you actually are and when those moments pass, you look back on me and say, what was I thinking? Well, what was going on with me? Now, here's the good news. Forgiveness is available. God's grace is always available. But here's the bad news. Sometimes the damage is done and it's slow to heal. So James says, we stumble in many ways. You, you need to be aware of that. Look at look at verse 5. He says, the tongue is a small part of the body. And I love this analogy he uses. Uh this little tongue, the, the, the use of words, a little thing that can lead a, a big fire, like a tiny spark leading to a raging inferno. You ever said a little something that ended up in a big argument? You ever send an email you regret? You ever post something on Facebook or tweet something on Twitter that you, you wish you hadn't? You ever, you ever yell something a little inappropriate at your child's soccer game from the sidelines that maybe didn't really reflect who you were as a person you ever tell a an inappropriate joke at the water cooler at work or at the family reunion you think man i probably ought to go back and apologize for that see this is the kind of thing james is warning us about you ever get in a fight with your spouse or your kids and you say things in harshness and anger to them that literally could peel the paint off the wall and If someone had a videotape and showed you how you were acting in that moment, you'd say, I can't believe that's me. See, that that's the kind of thing that happens. And James warns us about this, not to make us feel bad about our past mistakes, but to help us be intentional about our future choices. So when it comes to the tongue, when it comes to the use of words, a little spark can lead to a raging inferno. So remember, in the words of Elmer Fudd, be very, very careful. Words can do damage. Some of you are wondering, who is Elmer Fudd? In the moments we have left, let's uh, let's look at three very simple biblical practices to help us gain better control. I don't say total control, but better control of our tongues. And the first practice is this. Be self-aware. Just be aware of how you're using words, how you're coming across. Some of our talk is just habit. Right? We just... We've developed habits over time. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. That, that, that's true. We, we, we can control it a little bit better. In fact, in verse 7, James is saying, you know how we've learned how to tame all kinds of animals. But the tongue is one of those animals we haven't fully learned how to tame. In fact, you can't totally tame it. And he says it's a deadly poison. kind of He's given a subtle image of a snake, a poisonous, venomous snake. It's kind of like the, the tongue, and that means you just always have to be vigilant. You always have to be diligent. You always have to be aware of of word choice and tone of voice. Right? I got a buddy who, for years, has had a cussing problem. You know, he did, he was in the military for many years, and, and not to pick on the military, but sometimes in the military you're around people who have kind of salty language, and and you know, sometimes in the military there are people who will punctuate every other sentence with the f-bomb or you know, they, they just don't know how to express themselves without using that kind of language and you can pick up those kind of habits over time and, and my, my friend had this habit and he didn't want to pass it on to his kids and he was really bothered by it so he uh, uh to help himself get over this he he put a, a large rubber band around his wrist and every time he caught himself using a bad word he he'd take that rubber band and pull it way up and then let it go and smacked his wrist didn't hurt that much but it did create an awareness that over time helped him I know know a a young mom who was always just sniping at her kids. She just always being harsh to them and lecturing them and being kind of hard on them. And, you know, she she did need to say some things to them that they needed to hear. But the way she was doing it, her tone of voice, she was just always she didn't want her kids looking back later, remembering the mom as this woman who was always grumpy and in a bad mood and lashing out at them. And she wanted to stop that. But it had become a habit. And so she took a big jar and put it on top of the refrigerator, and every time she caught herself being unnecessarily harsh with her children, she'd put a dollar in the jar. It it, it helped her raise an awareness. Remember remember a couple falls ago, a couple years ago in the fall, we did that no complaint challenge where we put on the purple wristbands? I heard from so many people who said, look, I never went 21 complete days without complaining. But what did happen is it created an awareness in my life of how I and that's where it starts is just creating an awareness because you can't fully tame the tongue but you do need to be aware of how words get used whether it's whining or using profanity or lying or gossiping or boasting just to be more aware that's the start now here's a second practice tend to your heart and to your mind tend to the interior issues of your life right See, it's important to pay attention to the words that come out of our mouth, but the words that come out of our mouth are coming from a source, and the source is our interior life, how we're thinking, what we're harboring in our hearts. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, uh, James asks this question. Can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bring about figs? Can a salt spring produce fresh water? Here, here's what James is getting at here. He's saying, you got to look at the source. What comes out has a source. What comes out of your mouth has a source in your heart and in your mind. So tend to your thoughts. Tend to your heart. Jesus put it this way. He said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The external is simply a reflection of the internal because the internal is always working its way out. Words are the fruit. But the heart and the mind are the root. right? And so... When the heart is pure, when the mind is clean, our words become life-giving. But when the interior life isn't right, the words that come out aren't right. Proverbs 4.23 is a good, good proverb to memorize. Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows everything in your life. Isn't that true? See, so, so when we tend to our heart and our mind, it affects the way we use words. And while we're talking about this, let me just add tending to your physical health, to that list because there's a connection between the heart and the mind and the body. Have you noticed this? I noticed this is true in my life. Well, when I use words inappropriately or in a, in, a, in a way that's hurtful, a lot of times it's because I'm grumpy, because I haven't got, been getting enough sleep or I haven't been exercising to reduce stress or I haven't been eating right. And because I don't feel well physically, it just causes me to have a bad attitude. I get sideways with people. See, here's the truth. Your problem in life, that when you get grumpy or tired or irritable, your problem is not stress. Everybody has stress. Your problem is how you're managing stress, how you're dealing with it. And when we don't tend to the physical, when we're not getting enough rest, when we don't have margin in our schedule for some downtime, when we're not exercising to get rid of those stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline and epinephrine, when we're not eating a healthy diet, it affects us physically, but it also affects the way we think, and it affects our heart, and it affects what comes out of our mind. So, for some of us, the biggest challenge we have to a joy-filled, grace-filled heart is our schedule, our lack of margin, our failure to tend to health disciplines. So, as we talk about tending to the interior life, there's a connection also to the physical life. Be aware of that. And then, finally, in addition to being self-aware, and in addition to tending to our heart and our mind and our body, Finally, create a habit of intentionally offering words of encouragement and affirmation to other people. Encouragement and affirmation. you know, One of the best ways we stop a bad habit is to replace it with a good habit. So if you find yourself that you, you tend to drift toward a bad habit of, of saying things that are critical and harsh and not very nice, uh, intentionally develop a good habit of saying things that are affirming and positive and hopeful and encouraging. Right? Develop That habit. Look at at verse 10. James says, Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. Brothers and sisters, that should not be. And we want to say, We know it shouldn't be, but that's the way it is. And one of the ways we overcome that is to intentionally replace the cursing with the praising. To To be so intentional about thanking and affirming and being positive that we eventually push out that tendency to be negative and critical and harsh. So... You know, I, uh, I, a couple of uh, months ago, we did the, uh, the love language series. And the, the first week of the love language series, we talked about words of affirmation, how, so, how it's so important if you're married to speak words of affirmation to your spouse. and If you have kids, to speak words of affirmation to them. And the ratio is about six to one. For every one word of criticism you might give to some, somebody in your family, you need to balance that with five or six words of affirmation or encouragement. Because people oftentimes forget the words of affirmation and they get stuck on the, the words of criticism. I, I know that's true in my life. I can be shaking hands at the door and five or six people say, Pastor Mark, that's such a powerful sermon. You're so profound. You're the greatest pastor who ever lived. And I'll shake their hands and say, well, thank you. But then somebody will come by and say, hey, you know, you misquoted that Bible verse. Then I'll feel, ah. Oh. Right? That's, that's the way it is, right? You, you're you like that in your life. You The the negative things, the, the critical things people say about you tend to stick with you longer. And so what, what we need to do is be the people who say things that are positive and affirming more than the things that are critical to help folks and use the power of words wisely and well to build people up. I uh, got an email uh, a few weeks ago as we uh, entered into the season of Lent on on Ash Wednesday when we had our Ash Wednesday service. I encouraged the congregation to give up something for Lent and to take up something for Lent. And a woman in our congregation said, Pastor Mark, I want to tell you what I'm going to do, what I'm going to take up, a new discipline for Lent. I'm going to be sending letters of encouragement and affirmation to, to people in my life. Every week I'm going to send several uh, notes out to people to just encourage them. And I thought, what a great idea, using words to intentionally bless others. And I've got to tell you, James would agree with that. And he speaks to you and me from the pages of Scripture and he says, Taming the tongue is difficult. In fact, it's impossible. You'll never totally tame the tongue. But don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can do. You can be more self aware. You can tend to your heart and mind. You can be very intentional about positive, affirming words. You can become the most affirming, positive person in your home, in your carpool, in your office in your class at school, on your team, or in your church. You can do that. And you'll be a blessing to others. Hey, a toilet paper shortage is a minor inconvenience compared to the serious damage that can result when words are not used well. A tiny spark can create a raging inferno, and we don't want that. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Let's do what we can to get that right. Because when we use words rightly, we're putting our faith into action.